Welcome to the Speaking of Women's Health podcast. I am your host and author, Dr. Holly Thacker, and we are going to be going over Chapter 4, Maintaining Mood at Midlife. For many women, midlife is a welcome lifestyle change. Newly emptied nest produce more free time and a relaxing of responsibilities. We may be able to enjoy hobbies that we've set aside during our child-raising years, or we might choose to travel, advance in our careers, or simply explore new ventures. With such newfound freedom, we are likely to feel happy and on an, quote, even keel. On the other hand, some women face increased stresses on the home front during midlife. As the humorist Irma Bombeck wrote, quote, I'm trying very hard to understand this generation. They've adjusted the timetable for childbearing so that menopause and teaching a 16-year-old how to drive will occur on the same week, end quote. Often women are called to care for their aging and sometimes ailing parents and other relatives. This responsibility can certainly take its toll on your time, emotional balance, sleep, and certainly mood. In midlife, you might also be dealing with a divorce or career-related problems or the death of someone you love. All of these will naturally affect your mood and could possibly leave you feeling depressed. Another take on depression at the time of menopause suggests that the hormone-related physical changes mar a woman's self-image and leave her feeling a bit down. With drier skin and thinning vaginal walls, maybe she doesn't feel quite the same as beautiful and sexy, perhaps as she did a few years earlier. And looking into the mirror only to see thinning hair and dull skin doesn't do a lot for one's self-esteem. Although this kind of depression may seem based on superficialities, most women can attest that that look good, feel good motto, when we're happy about our health and appearance, we seem to have a better, more upbeat outlook on life. So depression and menopause. Menopause is not actually a major risk for clinical depression. However, the hormonal changes that occur at this point in a woman's life can influence the neurotransmitters in the brain, which include serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine, that regulate brain function. This trio of neurotransmitters sends messages to various parts of the brain responsible for functions such as sleep, appetite, mood, sexual interest, and sense of well-being. In fact, you may want to catch our third, our number three podcast on why women crave chocolate because it talks about neurotransmitters and ways to boost those neurotransmitters. Well, one way we know is estrogen certainly can stimulate the brain and boost serotonin, while progesterone antagonizes this, and rapid fluctuations in hormone levels can throw some women out of sync. Considering this, it's not too far-fetched to say that menopause can be the breaking point that throws a woman's mood into a tailspin, particularly if her neurotransmitters are already running on empty. Some of my patients have referred to this experience as, quote, reverse puberty. The fact that one in three women will be diagnosed with a major clinical depression at some point in her life, this can coincide with menopause, particularly if perimenopausal transition was long or difficult. Let's take a look at Janet's situation. Janet, 
I'm looking in the mirror, trying to put on a happy face. I'm talking myself into shaking off the down and out attitude that I've been waking up with for weeks. With hot flashes waking me every hour, things just don't seem manageable in the morning. My teenage son requires more attention than he did when he was in elementary and middle school, and I don't want to let him see his mother fall apart. And after her surgery for a hip fracture, my own mother needs me more than ever. And my husband and I enjoy each other's company, but I can't seem to take pleasure in the things that we used to look forward to doing, like dancing or cooking with friends or hiking. I just seem to go through the motions. I've never been such a drag, and I can't even think of any time I've ever felt this down. Even PMS was not really a problem for me. I've always been stable, enjoying life, and not letting the inevitable stresses get to me. You know, I did stop my period about five months ago, so I guess I must be going into menopause. Lately, those cartoons poking fun at menopausal women who flip out seem like a disturbing portrait of me. Who is this lady in the mirror this morning, and how do I get my old self back? Fast fact, women are two to three times more likely than men to suffer from clinical depression. For women who did not experience any form of depression after delivering children called postpartum depression, or didn't experience severe PMS, premenstrual syndrome, or didn't feel depressed when caring for young children, which is actually the all-time when depression is most common in women, feeling blue at midlife, as in Janet's case indicates, It vividly contradicts what they've previously experienced during times of hormonal fluctuation. It is true that menopause can aggravate existing depression, and women who are not depressed but begin suffering from untreated menopausal effects, such as hot flashes, particularly for a prolonged period of time, it could lead to an episode of depression. So which comes first, menopause or depression? Well, answering this question is not easy. Today, research suggests that during the time a woman is making the transition into menopause, she's at risk for depression, particularly if that menopause transition is tumultuous. I see proof of this in my office every week. Women with no family history and no personal experience of depression can feel down and out. They've been healthy, medically stable, and free from major stressors. And then bam, menopause hits. They may be having mood swings, precipitated in part by a lack of sleep, as hot flashes can keep waking them up. It's like a form of torture. They get up in the morning feeling irritable, they're uncomfortable, and then they become concerned about their high blood pressure, their rising cholesterol, their stubborn abdominal weight gain. Everything seems to collide at one point, midlife. And we can't pinpoint exactly what makes hormones and neurotransmitters interact differently in menopausal women who suffer from depression compared with menopausal women who don't get depressed. But the key is to understand that there are various types of depression, to recognize the signs, and most importantly to remember that depression is a treatable medical condition. It's not a sign of weakness or something you need to be ashamed about. You can do something about it and get yourself feeling better. Depression is different in women and men. For women, depression may occur earlier. It might last longer and be more likely to recur. Women seem to be more sensitive to life events and changes of seasons, both which sometimes can trigger depression. Depression in women is more often associated with anxiety disorders, especially panic attack and phobic symptoms, as well as eating disorders. Women are more likely to experience guilty feelings and even attempt suicide when depressed. However, 
men are more likely to actually commit suicide. Is feeling blue a sign of depression? Feeling sad or just not quite yourself is not depression. It's normal to feel dejected when your boss gives you only a satisfactory review, or you notice that your favorite pair of skinny jeans are hugging your curves way too closely. It's also normal to respond deeply to the death of a loved one and feel sad for weeks, if not months. These responses are unlike major depression, which is also called clinical depression, which is a bona fide medical condition involving potentially some imbalances in brain chemistries. Consider Lila. Lila. When my father died, my world collapsed. He was my mentor, and I took over his business when he retired. I never, ever imagined what life would be without his support and love. And I mourned for months, and every year, joyous occasions like cutting down the family Christmas tree were bittersweet, but I did work through those feelings. But my sadness, my sadness was nothing like the cloud that hovered over my days during menopause, because I felt desperate and helpless, and the persistent gloom and unhappiness felt like a lead vest that dragged down my every activity. What Lila experienced after the loss of her father was normal grief and sadness, but later during menopause, she did go into a clinical depression. And the level and severity of similar emotions is markedly different in depression. Just as feeling blue should not cause you undue worry, drastic plunges in feelings of self, self-worth, interest in activities and friends, and general happiness should not be brushed aside. So this is a quick quiz on are you depressed? No two women experience exactly the same symptoms of depression, but there are questions you can ask yourself to determine whether your mood is something beyond just feeling blue. If you suspect clinical depression, discuss your concerns with a physician. If you answer yes to any of these questions, she or he may want to explore the condition further, such as some questions to ask yourself. Have you lost interest in hobbies or activities that you used to enjoy? Do you have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep? Are you tired all the time, regardless of how much sleep you get? Do you feel resentful or angry? Do you have outbursts of complaints or shouting? Have you lost interest in sexual activity? Do you feel worthless, unattractive, or guilty for no reason? Do you struggle to concentrate? Are your thoughts muddy or foggy? Do you have any slower body movements or slower speech? Do you brood or experience delusions or fears? Do you often feel anxious? Have you had periods of mania, mood elevation, or inability to sleep? Have you ever considered suicide? So what are the symptoms of a mood disorder? Symptoms of various mood disorders can mimic those of menopause. Anxiety, sweats, heart palpitations. Is this a panic attack or is it menopause? You might be edgy one moment, forgetful the next. Is this something more than just naturally occurring menopause? Could it be attention deficit disorder, perhaps? When teasing out the symptoms of depression from menopause, we run into the whodunit of women's health. Searching for the culprit causing one's symptoms often results in a lineup of health problems, and usually more than one suspect or diagnosis is guilty. Fortunately, we can distinguish serious mood disorders from basic menopausal symptoms during a history and interview, and we can treat such disorders while easing menopausal side effects. But first, we must understand the indications for major depression and other disorders that affect mood or behavior, including panic disorder, bipolar disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, 
and ADD or ADHD. Major depression is characterized by general feelings of sadness or worthlessness. Those who suffer from major depression answer yes to most of all those questions that I just asked you. Here are some symptoms of depression. Emotional, complete loss of pleasure in things that were once enjoyable, trouble sleeping or eating, lack of interest in sex, and suicidal thoughts. Physical signs, weight gain or weight loss, insomnia or tiredness despite getting adequate sleep. Panic disorder. Of all the mood disorders associated with menopause, panic is one of the most vexing because it causes intense physical symptoms that may drive women to visit many different types of physicians in their search for relief. Panic disorder involves more than an occasional bout of anxiety. Women with panic disorder may have frequent panic attacks, often worry for more than a month about having one, and they might even change their behavior in hopes of avoiding another attack. They may go to the emergency room only to be told they're fine. Panic disorder can be accompanied by depression and mood swings. Panic disorder can affect 3-4% to of women regardless of their menstrual status. Heart palpitations might lead her to visit a cardiologist, who after testing may report completely normal cardiac results. A neurologist will check her when she complains of dizziness or headaches. No diagnosis there. Anxiety, sweating, palpitations can certainly mirror many symptoms of menopause. So she might just be brushed off and told, oh, you're just going through the change. But when panic disorder and menopause intersect, a woman can feel as if her world is exploding. Many times, menopausal treatment for panic disorder and supportive therapy all have to be started at once. Some women receive a trio of treatments and with a few months are back to feeling like their usual self. Here are some of the symptoms of panic disorder. Emotional, sudden intense feelings of doom, gloom, apprehension. Physical, heart palpitations, shortness of breath, dizziness, sweating, weakness, nausea, and even tingling sensations from hyperventilation. Bipolar disorder, also known as manic depression, as the name of the disorder suggests, women with bipolar disorder can experience periods of mania and then deep depression, experience extremely high and then extremely low moods. Those that suffer this disorder can feel elated, irritable, paranoid, all within a matter of minutes. The world is full of pristine opportunities one day, and the next it's doom and gloom. If you're bipolar, you're probably hyperactive. You might talk quickly and loudly at times. You might switch from one topic to the next. Or telltale sign, you may have stretches of time when you have so much energy and you don't sleep. Perhaps your first episode included severe postpartum depression. Postpartum psychosis, the differential diagnosis is bipolar, bipolar, bipolar. People with bipolar illness may get worse if they're just treated with a standard antidepressant such as an SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, because this can trigger a manic episode. Women with bipolar illness need to be treated with medicines such as lithium, which is a natural occurring element in the periodic table, or perhaps with lamictal, generic name lamotrigine, or depakote, generic name valproic acid, 
These are anticonvulsants that help stabilize the brain. Other medicines like Abilify, generic name Arapiprazole, is an atypical antipsychotic that works as a mood stabilizer and is FDA approved to treat bipolar illness may be needed. The following are symptoms of mania and bipolar disorder. Emotional, extremely high spirits, delusions about capabilities, excessive risky behavior, overtly euphoric mood, racing thoughts, anger, inability to sleep. Some of the physical signs can include forceful, rapid speech, less need for sleep, rebellious behavior. OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, can involve obsessions and very distressing involuntary ideas, fears, or impulses that recur. The anxiety that follows with these ideas sometimes drives the person to perform certain routines or compulsions to find calmness and stability. Some of these examples include excessive hand washing, counting, checking, hoarding, repeating, cleaning, and endlessly rearranging objects. People with OCD can feel as if performing such rituals is a life or death necessity. Most people with OCD know that this behavior is not reasonable. In fact, they often become depressed because they recognize the problems that this disorder is occurring in their lives. Some symptoms of OCD include the following. The emotional symptoms are anxiety, distress, fear, and the physical symptoms can be repetitive or ritualistic behavior. Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, also known as ADHD. Anna had been seeing me for a year for treatment of her severe menopausal symptoms. The last time she was in my office, she said, Doctor, I think I have ADHD. I was kind of surprised at first. I said, why now? What makes you think that? I asked. She told me that her son had been diagnosed a few months ago, and she recognized his symptoms in her own behavior. So it's really not surprising that many adults are diagnosed with ADHD or ADD after their children are found to have this disorder. Parents tend to think of ADHD as a social and academic inhibitor for children and adolescents, but they learn what behaviors are associated with ADHD, for example, being easily distracted or having trouble sitting still or being impulsive, and they wonder if their own lack of concentration and restless behavior might represent the same condition. The following symptoms can be signs of either menopause or ADHD. So if we decide to try a low dose of hormone therapy and the symptoms don't improve at all, then we may want to reevaluate to see if any of it could be ADHD related. Here are some of the symptoms of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. On the emotional spectrum, it can be problems with prioritizing tasks, feelings of being flaky or scatterbrained or very easily distracted. And some of the physical aspects could be uh, inability to meet definite work deadlines or keeping appointments, frequent forgetfulness, or just a hectic and kind of disorganized appearance. So what do I do if my mood or personality alters during menopause? Noticing mood shifts and feeling not quite yourself is perfectly normal during perimenopause and menopause. Depending on how severe your menopausal symptoms are, you might become more vulnerable to mood swings because of lack of sleep or physical discomfort. Your energy 
reserves could be low, decreasing your tolerance for any stressors. You feel absent-minded, forgetful. You break down when your daughter comes home from school with a bad report card. You snap at your housebound mother, whom you love dearly, when she asks you to pick up some milk at the grocery store. If you've never been particularly moody, such feelings may especially spark concern. In these cases, the root cause of a woman's emotional frailty might be menopause. And treating the symptoms with lifestyle changes, diet and exercise, hormone therapy if appropriate, or other non-hormonal alternatives may help level out this imbalance that's agitating the mood. On the other hand, if the descriptions here don't seem to apply to you, you might want to dig deeper. Gather your family history. Talk with your physician or APP. She may want to conduct some medical tests to rule out other issues such as under or overactive thyroid, anemia, diabetes, adrenal insufficiency, hepatitis, low B12, low zinc levels, low vitamin D. All these conditions can contribute to depression and fortunately can be treated. During your appointment, please tell your physician about any and all medicines or substances you're taking, and that includes vitamins, herbal remedies, diet supplements, any recreational drugs, because these things may influence or contribute to your problems and symptoms. So what kind of treatment options exist for mood disorders during menopause? Well, during perimenopause and menopause, depression and Other mood disorders are basically treated in much the same way they are at other times in life. Antidepressant therapy, cognitive, and behavioral therapy can help. And hormones may help improve the mood by treating symptoms and potentially augmenting the effects of some of these mood medications. So what's the solution? Hormone therapy, antidepressants, a combination? Well, here's a few different scenarios for you. You're feeling depressed, not yourself, and you're not being treated with hormone therapy. Hormone therapy can reduce hot flashes, night sweats, restore sleep, which in turn improves mood and energy. Independent of its effects on hot flashes, hormone therapy may still improve mood and energy. In fact, my beloved nurse Lily, who I interviewed um, on her retirement, described her experience and how she never had a hot flash, but after working with me in the menopause clinic, she wondered, well, maybe I should just give this a try because it helps so many women. And even though she never had a hot flash, her energy level, her joint pain, uh, and her control of some of her other medical problems were much, much improved. Certainly, hormone therapy does help the genitourinary area, the vagina against thinness and drying, and can certainly make just wearing your jeans more comfortable as well as sex more enjoyable. Hormones also do help the skin from collagen loss. And even though technically we're not really supposed to push the benefits of hormones on skin and hair because we women love anything that's good for our skin and hair, certainly there's no doubt about it, many women just feel a lot better about the way their skin looks and feels when they're on hormone therapy. In general, many women who take hormone therapy don't, who do not suffer from the irritable side effects of menopause that can drag their mood down uh, and reduce their tolerance for stress. So what if you're taking a low dose of hormones but still feel moody and blue all the time? When a woman taking hormone therapy still feels down in the dumps, I examine her dosage. The current trend, at least post-Women's Health Initiative, 
which I uh, discussed the 20th anniversary, I think, in my fifth podcast, um, unfortunately, was to use lower doses of hormones for shorter periods of time. Really, not particularly scientifically. And logically, one might think, oh, is it safer? Does it reduce side effects and risk because you're taking less hormones? So on the surface, it might sound like a good idea. But many times, women are just simply undertreated, and that's not a good thing. The standard doses of hormone therapy are already just a fraction of a fraction of what a low-dose birth control pill is. And many times the estrogen is actually bioidentical and the progesterone may be progesterone, which is bioidentical as well. And so just trying to get the hormones to like a low uh, menstrual follicular phase level is not generally at all high dose. So the less is more theory doesn't apply to every woman's health need, particularly those in perimenopause and menopause, those with significant symptoms. And so a woman may feel better and less depressed if her hormone prescription is increased. Sometimes I try to do this before using other medications. I try my best to listen to my patients since they're often able to tell me whether they need more or less hormone therapy, more or less antidepressant, or a different regimen altogether. And the nice thing about being on estradiol, either orally or transdermally, is you can measure this in the bloodstream. And there's been times I can remember where I told the woman, I really think you're going to need a mood medicine or a sleep medicine or a mood stabilizing medicine. I really don't think you need more hormones. And they say, no, I really think I do. And then I get a blood level. And guess what? Many times the woman is right. So I really think listening and trying different options and being open is very helpful. So what if your doctor recently increased your hormone therapy dosage, but you still feel anxious or panicky or just downright depressed. If we determine that the woman is indeed receiving an adequate level of hormone therapy and still feels depressed, I do consider antidepressant therapy. We may need to treat menopause and depression concurrently to achieve the best results. If I suspect major depression, regardless of the woman's hormonal status, I do recommend treatment and or cognitive behavioral therapy because both ways are effective to treat depression and when combined can give better results. I also am very careful to make sure we don't miss other conditions that can mimic uh, depression or make depression worse, like sleep apnea and sleep disorders. So what antidepressants are best for use by a menopausal woman? Well, I think low doses at first just to test the response to the medicine. If the response is good and she feels less moody, I usually like to continue the therapy for six to nine months after the point she feels like her usual self. Standard antidepressants such as SSRIs and SNRIs, which are serotonin, norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, they're not addictive and they don't change your personality. SSRIs, there's many types of so-called antidepressants like SSRIs like Prozac, generic name fluoxetine, Zoloft, generic name sertraline, and uh, there's Celexa and Lexapro. Serafem is the brand name for fluoxetine that was the first SSRI to be FDA approved to treat severe PMS. Lexapro, generic name Escitalopram, is the active ingredient of a previously popular and still relatively popular antidepressant, Celexa, known as citalopram. And Lexapro doesn't seem to interfere with hormone levels or other medicines metabolized in the liver. 
And so I use low doses of this to treat severe PMD, D, anxiety, and maybe in baby, baby doses in a liquid form for those with panic disorder. <clears throat> Paxil or paroxetine, I don't tend to prescribe this as much because it can be associated with constipation, weight gain, and sexual dysfunction, and it can reduce uh, the effects of tamoxifen, which is a medication used to prevent as well as treat breast cancer. Um, however, low-dose paroxetine in the 7.5-milligram dose, Brisdel, is actually a non-hormonal FDA-approved dose, and it's labeled as such to treat menopausal symptoms. And particularly in anxious women who are losing weight and don't sleep well, this can be a godsend. Now, one advantage of Prozac fluoxetine is that it has a very long half-life and people don't tend to get withdrawal-type symptoms that they do with shorter half-lives, like Zoloft sertraline has a much shorter half-life. Now, the SNRIs, serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors, like the SSRIs, are not addictive. They don't change your personality, and they do affect norepinephrine and serotonin. Cymbalta, generic name duloxetine, uh, actually may help reduce stress urinary incontinence in Europe. It's labeled as such. Um, but it's also used to treat fibromyalgia, chronic pain syndromes, headaches. And it is important to monitor liver functions at least once a year while you're on this. Effexor, also known as venlafaxine, in very low doses, 37.5 to 75 milligrams, can really help set, reset the brain thermostat. If higher doses are needed to treat anxiety or depression, it doesn't seem to help the hot flashes. So Pristique, which is desvenlafaxine, the active metabolite of venlafaxine, at a 50 to 100 milligram dose, does treat anxiety and depression and still helps with hot flashes and sleep. Wellbutrin, also known as bupropion, is not an SSRI or NSRI. It's in a completely different class and it boosts dopamine. But it's not generally used in people with severe anxiety or anybody with seizure disorder or eating disorder. But it can be very helpful in perimenopausal fatigue, uh, low motivation, decreased concentration, and depression. Sometimes a low dose of bupropion can be added to women who are on SSRIs who are having the sexual side effects that are common with SSRIs, such as delayed ability to climax. And some higher-dose SSRIs are, are known to produce this. And the other nice thing about bupropion is it's known for its lack of association of weight gain and sexual side effects. And sometimes it's used off-label as a mild appetite suppressant. It also is used in a dose of 300 milligrams uh, for two weeks prior to the date that someone plans to uh, stop smoking. It's That's marketed as Zyban. So... Um, if someone is on an SSRI, I do see a lot of women who are on Celexa that have the doses pushed to 40 milligrams, which does somewhat concern me, as that really is the max dose, and there's other medicines that can increase those levels. And so I think to have a baseline EKG um, to make sure you don't have QT prolongation if your physician is pushing these maximal doses. The maximal dose of Wellbutrin is 450 milligrams. I rarely use that. And certainly in anyone who's had a seizure, it could stimulate the brain and trigger a seizure. So a fast fact, researchers are constantly testing for new and improved antidepressants that don't negatively impact sexual function. 
And I wrote about phlebancerine in my first book back in 2007 because it was being studied for anxiety and depression. But it had the curious side effect of flipping on the sex drive in about 70% of women. Uh, helping with sleep, which is a big problem, so the medicine's taken at night, and being associated with a little weight loss, not weight gain. So this multi-channel serotonergic agent is um, currently and has been for a while FDA approved to treat hypoactive sexual desire disorder acquired in women who previously had a fine sex life and are not having relationship problems and any kind of pain or dryness issues from menopause have been taken care of. It's actually been studied in pre- and post-menopausal women, um, but it's currently only officially FDA-approved for pre-menopausal women, although I certainly have prescribed it off-label to post-menopausal women, and the response seems to be as good, if not better. And it does take 60 days of being on phlebancerine to know if it's going to flip on the sex drive. So... Um, I think that this is an excellent option. Unfortunately, insurance considers it a lifestyle drug, so most all insurances don't cover it. But if someone has commercial insurance, meaning not government, meaning not Medicaid, Medicare, or TRICARE or military, then many times going to a specialty pharmacy and us doing paperwork in the office um, and them applying coupons can make it relatively affordable. So... Um, it is a nice option, and we have a lot of information about the little pink pill, phlebancerine, also known as Addy, A-D-D-Y-I, on our speakingofwomenshealth.com uh, website. So you might ask, what do I do if I'm anti-antidepressants? Some women really are just against taking any kind of antidepressant medicine, and they don't want to take another pill they're uncomfortable with the idea that they need something that might affect brain chemistries. They're reacting to cultural stigmas against mental illness that does seem really to be slowly disappearing, but it's still there. So some women just grin and bear it and they brush off serious mood disorders because they don't want that diagnosis. But I think that you shouldn't be worried about stigma. You should take care of yourself. Quite simply, you deserve it. And these medications are used for chronic pain, they're used for headaches, they're used for chronic fatigue, and so they're used in adults, uh, which is where they've been primarily studied, for lots of different conditions. So, and if taking care of others is part of your midlife life experience, you've got to know that you have to care for yourself before you can help others. And depression is just as much of a medical problem as type 2 diabetes or type 1 diabetes or migraine headaches. There's no reason to feel embarrassed or ashamed or to feel like you should just simply be able to conquer the condition on your own. Because after all, do you expect your willpower alone to cure strep throat? No, you need to finish your full course of 10 days of penicillin so that you don't have any side effects or complications from the autoimmune reactions from strep. So how can I improve my mood by changing diet? Well, garbage in, garbage out is absolutely true when it comes to food and mood. And I've got some great columns on speaking of women's health about food as medicine and food affecting mood. So um, it is really important to pay attention to that. 
Increasing omega-3 fats, the good fat that's found in seafood like salmon or tuna or walnuts or almonds, can certainly lift your spirit and increase your energy, and it might help with dry eyes and joint pain. The bare minimum is two servings a week. If you can't get enough from food, you could consider taking a fish oil supplement that contains omega-3. I'm not really a super fan of doing that unless there's very high triglycerides or the ophthalmologist recommends it for dry eyes and it helps. Because I have seen women get some breast tenderness and breast cysts by taking omega-3s and it's extra calories. But I know that a lot of people just don't like fish. But if you don't like fish, no problem. You can have flaxseed, sprinkle it on your yogurt or in breads or cereals. Walnuts and almonds are excellent. You can buy the omega-3 enriched eggs. I always do that because one of my sons just was not a fish eater and not so much of a nut eater, and he did like eggs. Um, Certainly people that eat fish do seem to have some health benefits compared to people who just take the fish oil supplements. It's important to limit sugar because that can affect mood swings and cause surges in your insulin. You should drink caffeine only in moderation or avoid it altogether if you're very sensitive to it. Certainly avoid fast food. Artery-clogging trans fats and the related weight gain from really intense high-caloric food certainly can wreak havoc on your body. Basically, think about what you eat as fuel and consider it the content of what you put into your body because when you fill up with premium, you're bound to function better. What about vitamin supplements? Well, if you eat right, you may need to ingest um, still extra vitamins, particularly vitamin D, which is not a vitamin, it's a prosterol hormone. Calcium is a mineral, and depending on your diet preferences, you may or may not be getting enough calcium in your diet. We have a nice calcium calculator on our speakingofwomenshealth.com website, as well as ranges of calcium depending on your age. Certainly pregnant women and lactating women need a lot more calcium, and postmenopausal women with no estrogen on board and lowish vitamin Ds do take a lot more calcium to get absorbed through the gut. But consult your healthcare professional about supplements before taking them. Treat them like you would any medicine. Just because you can purchase it over the counter without a prescription doesn't mean it's totally safe and risk-free or appropriate for every woman. In fact, many over-the-counter treatments can interfere with prescription medications or even with each other sometimes adversely affecting the person. If you already take a multiple vitamin, please read the label, do the math, and figure out how many other supplements you really need. More is not necessarily better. I'm more of a fan of very specific recommendations as opposed to just a general multiple vitamin. The B-complex vitamins and mood. Many times we can be deficient in complex water-soluble B vitamins, and they do help balance out our mood. One reason for the deficiency is B vitamins are destroyed by alcohol and refined sugars and caffeine and nicotine. Also, the metabolism of some B complex vitamins can be altered or accelerated in women taking hormonal contraceptives and other medicines. So here is just a little sampling of some of the relationship of the B vitamins and women's body. B1, thiamine. Without this vitamin, the brain can run out of energy, can lead to fatigue, depression, irritability, and anxiety. Thiamine has also been shown to help treat menstrual cramps and uterine irritability, and I recommend starting with 100 milligrams for menstrual cramps. B2 riboflavin. 
<clears throat> this has been found to actually reduce migraine headaches. And most migraine experts recommend starting with a 100 milligram daily dose going all the way up to 400 milligrams. B3 niacin. Niacin deficiency was found to cause pellagra, which can produce psychosis and dementia. Most commercial foods do contain niacin, so we don't see this um, so often anymore. But niacin deficiency can cause agitation, anxiety. Sometimes very high doses of niacin are used to help lower cholesterol, but unfortunately can precipitate hot flashes in some women and can irritate the liver. B5. Panthothenic acid. This vitamin aids in hormone formation and the uptake of amino acids in the brain, the chemical acetylcholine, which combines to affect the brain positively. B6, pyridoxine. This vitamin is needed to manufacture serotonin, melatonin, dopamine, all very important for the brain. It does have a mild diuretic property and has been used to treat mild to moderate carpal tunnel syndrome along with cock-up splints. I usually recommend a trial of 50 milligrams daily in fatigued women, but I never recommend over 100 milligrams of B6 since megadoses such as the 200 milligrams that were used in the past to treat PMS actually have been associated with some reported nerve damage. B12. Cyanocobalamin. B12 is important to the formation of red blood cells as well as brain and nerve function. B12 deficiency can cause pernicious anemia or maybe no anemia at all, instead just having a bad effect on the brain and mood. B12 deficiency may cause mood swings, irritability, confusion, dizziness, appetite loss, heart palpitations, and even a peripheral neuropathy or pins and needles sensation. Stores of B12 last a long time, up to five years, in contrast to folic acid, which only last for six hours or less. As many people get older, they don't absorb B12. They may not have intrinsic factor made in their stomach. They might have had a resection of their ileum. Or people on long-term acid blockers uh, don't absorb it as well. Individuals taking glucophage or metformin may also see a reduction in their B12 levels. I generally recommend 250 micrograms of B12 daily if you're over the age of 60, and I start monitoring B12 at least every five years after age 60 to 65. Sometimes monthly B12 shots are needed, um, especially if the uh, ileum or part of the stomach has been removed. Folic acid is another important B-complex vitamin, and it helps produce SAMe, S-A-M little e. All women of childbearing age should ingest at least 0.4 milligrams of folic acid daily, and that's been shown to reduce the risk of spina bifida and neural tube defects. Folic acid may help with cellular repair, and I recommend about a milligram a day to women who have abnormal PAPs. Also, of course, they need repeat evaluations, and they may need colposcopy or other evaluations. Folic acid may also help um, in women that are social alcohol drinkers uh, to help reduce the risk of breast cancer. Uh, L-methylfolate is the active metabolite of folic acid, and and some people lack the enzymes to convert folic acid to L-methylfolate, which supports methionine, which supports serotonin. And um, there are genetic tests that can be done, swabbing your mouth um, to figure out how you metabolize medicines and whether you have this MTHFR mutation. Some geneticists think it's so common, it's the most common genetic defect, that unless you have blood clots 
or high homocysteine levels, you really don't need to check for it. Um, I think it's nice to know because if you're one of the 10% that has both mutations in the C gene or maybe you have a compound heterozygote um, background, as long as you have a normal B12 level, uh, many times I like to use L-methylfolate, which you can you know buy over the counter. It's also in formulations of certain uh, birth control pills like Biaz and Safrol because the um, March of Dimes wanted a long-acting folic acid, one that would last up to four months because many women who stop the pill or have pregnancy, it's not planned. And it only really takes one day of a bad levels to wreak havoc when the, the brain and spinal cord are forming. So um, high doses, prescription doses of L-methylfolate uh, in the form of Deplin, 7.5 milligrams, 15 milligrams, many times are used by psychiatrists to boost the effects of antidepressants. So if a woman has a normal B12, um, many times I may just um, ask her to try one to five milligrams of L-methylfolate. I've had a few women actually tell me that if they take too much L-methylfolate, they have trouble with sexual climax because most likely they have too much of the serotonin uh, satiety hormone around. Now, SAM little e, SAMI, is short for S-adenylsilmethionine, which is a molecule that the body makes from methionine, which is an amino acid found in protein-rich foods, and adenosine triphosphate, which is an energy-producing compound found in all body cells. So SAM little e helps form compounds in the brain, which helps dopamine and serotonin, which can affect mood and also may improve joint pain, minor joint pain. Uh, although SAMI is thought to influence neurotransmitters involved in depression, its efficacy specifically for depression is not proven. But for women with minor mood disturbances and some joint pain who've already cleaned up their diet, uh, who don't have schizophrenia, mania, or bipolar disorder, I think it's reasonable to try 200 to 400 or more milligrams of SAM little e. B-Lith. Um, this is a popular combination supplement that has B6 and magnesium because after vitamin D, magnesium and B6 are the most common supplements that I recommend for women. B6 can boost energy and might help PMS. Um, and magnesium, and we have a nice list of what foods are rich in magnesium, on our website, as well as zinc, and zinc helps the mood and the immune system. A lot of women tend to not quite get enough magnesium in their diet, and as long as you don't have any kidney failure um, and you're not having diarrhea, because too much magnesium can obviously loosen the stool <clears throat> and cause an osmotic diarrhea, uh, magnesium helps leg cramps, migraine headaches might help with sleep. Um, so that can be worth looking into. Now, biotin is a B-complex uh, vitamin that's promoted for hair and nails. It mainly affects the nails. Um, certainly liquid biotin, um, you can get that in the form of like Revitalash to put on your eyelashes to help them grow. Um, but high doses of biotin sometimes are prescribed uh, by neurologists uh, in, in women or people with uh, multiple sclerosis. But unfortunately, biotin in um, 
you know, doses more than 300 milligrams really can significantly affect blood work. And the FDA a few years ago put out a warning, which we posted on our website, that there was a woman that died of heart failure because all her blood work was falsely normal. And I've seen hormone levels, which really are appropriate at 40 to 50 of estradiol, uh, come out to be 2,000 and, and, and 500 in women on high doses of biotin. So if you're on biotin, which I'm not as much of a big proponent because of the lab interactions, you really need to be off of it for 72 hours before you get your blood work drawn. Um, so there are some combinations that have calcium and vitamin D and magnesium and omega-3 and B-complex uh, combined. I know some women like that for the convenience so let's get high on exercise. So you've certainly heard about the runner's high and the endorphins effects. <clears throat> and when you exercise hard, your body can release that feel-good substance that erase the blues. And certainly by sticking to a regular exercise regimen, um, you do get natural boost. And depending on your daytime activities, for those of us that work in cubicles, activity may not be as much a part of the workday. So you definitely need to plan for exercise time for both mental and physical benefits. You can join a family or a female-friendly gym if you feel uncomfortable in the typical workout facilities. You can sign up for an aerobic class with a friend who might keep you on your schedule. Um, and you certainly don't need to run marathons to improve your mood, but a nice walk outside can relieve stress. Enjoying a beautiful day, getting fresh energy, maybe gardening, doing yard work, uh, depends on what you enjoy. If you're not sure how active you are, you can wear a pedometer. See how long it takes you to get about 10,000 steps or four to five miles in. And that helps burn an additional two to 3,000 plus calories per week, which is about a pound. <clears throat> Lighten up. You've probably heard about seasonal affective disorder or SADS. It's a typical type of depression that can set in during the winter when the days are much shorter and the sky is darker. Even those of us who don't suffer from seasonal affective disorder can admit to feeling a little more tired or grumpy when it rains for several days in a row or if the sunlight is more like a golden mirage seen only on vacation. Our bodies seem to instinctively know that exposure to bright light is important. Not only does it lift your spirits, but if you're outside in natural light without sunscreen at the right latitude, it does help boost vitamin D, which helps the mood. Now you don't have to burn your skin or go to the equator to get your vitamin D because you can get good quality, inexpensive vitamin D3 supplements. And I usually recommend you get it with K2, unless you happen to be a big eater of Japanese natto or the very tiny amount of foods that have K2 in it because that helps to get the calcium into your bones, the K2. It's not, it's not potassium, it's not K1, it's K2, also known as M7. But natural bright light sometimes can be hard to come by at home or work. So you can think about getting bright light from another source. And light fixtures that give off 10,000 lux of light, which is a measurement of brightness, have been proven effective in fighting mood disorders. And they can come designed in different styles, desk lamps, bedside reading lamps, or portable versions. I recommend a half hour of exposure early in the day to boost energy, improve mood. You don't want to do it late at night um, because of the circadian rhythm. And you certainly want to avoid you know, computer lights, cell phone lights before bedtime. A half hour of exposure increases most people's energy and improves mood in some women. And this light does not damage the skin or the eyes like the actual ultraviolet rays from sunlight can. Vitamin D may elevate the mood, another reason our body likes sunshine. 
but rather than damage the skin from too much sun exposure, I prefer for myself and my patients to generally wear sunscreen and take a vitamin D3 supplement and have their levels measured. Caregiver stress. Caregiver stress isn't depression, but it is an emotional weight that can affect some women during midlife, often coinciding with menopause. In our society, women are socialized to be caregivers who put everybody else's needs first. And then in midlife, you could be sandwiched between two generations, your older parents or older relatives that might be in their 70s to 90s, and children who might be in the turbulent throes of adolescence. Or if you've delayed childbearing, you might have young children. Add menopause to this, and it can disturb sleep. And the mixed hormonal messages in the mix, it's no wonder many women are stressed to the limit. So here are some ways to deal with caregiver stress that might help prevent a crash. Put yourself first. I know it's not easy. We're raised to believe that caring for ourselves is selfish. It's not. If you don't take time to care for your basic needs, sleep, nutrition, exercise, you just simply won't have enough mental or physical strength to care for anyone else. Eat right and exercise. A lot of times it's the last thing on your to-do list to fit in a workout, but it really should be first. Once I'm done um, taping this podcast, I'm going to go hit the gym. Really, burn off stress by getting physical. And don't sideline a healthy diet. Sugar and other indulgences are tempting when everything else in life seems to be falling apart. But the end result of comforting our stress with food is added pounds, which is just one more stress to deal with. Seek help. Women constitute about 90% of all caregivers, so you're not alone. Talk to your doctor or nurse about caregiver support groups. Check into available home health options for your relatives and community members that need extra care. And talk to other family members about ways that they can help you out. Remember Janet, whose story appeared at the beginning of this podcast chapter? Well, I'm happy to report that after putting in just a few of my suggestions into place, she's feeling a lot better. And I'll continue to monitor her mood and her hormonal status in case we need to take other measures. Meanwhile, this is what she told me at our last appointment. When I look into the mirror now, Dr. Thacker, I see a different woman from the one who looked back at me just a few months ago. I've started to exercise several times a week. I definitely eat a healthier diet. And combined with my low-dose hormone therapy, those steps really seem to be lifting me out of my funk. I even asked my husband to take more of a role with our troublesome teenage son. And I have more energy to help my mother. And I no longer believe that I'm flipping out. So you've been in the Sunflower House with me, your host and author, Dr. Holly Thacker. Please subscribe to our podcast and give us a five-star rating that helps us move up in the rankings. And please join me for chapter five, menopause and appearance.